1: Welcome back, weirdos, to History for Weirdos, episode number 77.
0: Yay! (laughs) I'm
1: always happy to be back.
0: Same. I'm always happy to be here in front of our uh, mic. That's stacked on top of a bunch of books.
1: In our living room. In our
0: living room. It's very professional.
1: Absolutely. We were literally <laughs> just talking about how it's such a professional setup. It's yeah. amazing. Well, also to our American listeners, happy President's Day as the day this comes out is on President's Day.
0: Yes, that's right. Hopefully, you know, you get some time off work or some rest or bonus pay or something if you're yeah, working today. Something. <laughs> I've, I've,
1: you know, I've literally never gotten it off once.
0: Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, never. Oh, that stinks. I always get President's Day off. Um,
1: not to brag. Not to
0: brag or anything, but the reason I love Presidents' Day weekend is because it's almost always your birthday weekend.
1: It is, yes. Yeah,
0: it's always around your birthday, and today, the day we're recording this is, I'm saying happy early birthday because your birthday's tomorrow, but the day the episode comes out, I'm saying happy belated birthday.
1: Oh, because it'll be snap.
0: have passed. Yeah, that's how time works.
1: That is how time works, indeed.
0: Yeah, you are turning 31 tomorrow.
1: I know, I'm going to be an old man.
0: It feels like just yesterday, we were counting down the days to your 30th.
1: I know, I know, and it's already been a year later, and I'm still processing what it means to be 30. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be 31.
0: That's a big one, it takes some time.
1: I know, and I know a lot of our listeners are probably like cursing me right now because they're older than 31 and saying like how young I am.
0: You are. I it's am. so important to remember, such perspective, right? That is
1: true, it's a fair point
0: um how long have we how many birthdays have we known each other for
1: a lot we're approaching 10
0: that's so nuts yeah yeah we've known we knew each other almost our entire 20s
1: exactly yeah i was 22 and you're 21
0: yeah babies we
1: were babies
0: little baby weirdos
1: exactly i know and then we would start a history podcast together
0: we also got married
1: oh yeah that thing too (laughs) (laughs)
0: But you're right, the History Podcast is equally... I was talking
1: about the thing that's more important, okay? Oh,
0: I was going to say equally important. (laughs) But anyway... Moving on. That comment aside, I decided for today's episode to honor you. Mm, Thank you. Um, The episode is all about you. No, just kidding.
1: (laughs) The life of Andrew. The life
0: of Andrew, even though you were there. Um, This has to do with your favorite era of history and i asked the weirdos to guess on instagram if they thought they knew what that was my love can you tell us what is your favorite era of human history
1: of course i'm happy to answer that question uh as you well know and weirdos it's probably most of you know as well my favorite historical period is classical rome
0: yes Correct. Thank goodness.
1: <laughs> I Imagine you're like, oh. Oh, this Anyways. is about Victorian England. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, today's episode, we will be talking about the powerful Roman priestesses, the Vestal Virgins.
1: Oh, heck yes.
0: Yes, they are. It's such an interesting cult. And cult was used differently back yeah. then, kind of like a sect. I yeah, would be.
1: like a religious sect. Yes, yeah.
0: such an interesting cult, really um, interesting history, and there's a lot of mythology in today's episode, weirdos, so I hope you enjoy, and Andrew, I hope you enjoy as well.
1: Yeah, do you, the Roman pagans even viewed early Christianity as a Jewish uh, cult.
0: Yeah, I really could see that. Yeah, That makes sense, because it was Jewish people who were... Also just, like, obsessed with helping, like, really disenfranchised people.
1: Yeah, and following this dude, Christ, you know, whoever that is. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, before I get into the details of the Vestal Virgins, we're going to talk just a little bit, like, a very brief overview of the Roman gods and just Roman religion in general. Noise. So, as you may already know, The Romans worshipped many gods and goddesses. They believed that everything from rivers to cows to Mm -hmm. cities had a guardian spirit essentially ruling over it. People of Rome would pray daily, and they would pray to different deities depending on whatever the current want or need was. From their perspective, almost everything that happened to a Roman citizen, good or bad, would be linked back to their piety or their lack thereof. (laughs) Uh, Which I'm sure the lack thereof was was frequent as well. Right. Because they also loved to party.
1: They did. Partying honored the gods in some respects.
0: That's true, Dionysus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, As Rome expanded, they were really open-minded when it came to adopting the gods of other cultures. Yeah. They would often change the name And maybe some aspects of the gods' personality or how they were represented just so that they looked more Roman, looked and sounded more Roman, which is a very Roman thing to do. It's very
1: Roman, yeah.
0: And famously, the Romans loved the Greek gods and goddesses and adopted the Greek pantheon, changing the Greek names to Roman names. And they combined this pantheon with the ancient Etruscan and Sabine gods, which would have been, I guess, native to that region.
1: Right, yeah, like central Italy. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So... That's our little backstory, just to give you some context. And now you might be wondering, well, who is Vesta? Yeah. (laughs) Vesta is the goddess of the hearth, the home, the family, bakers, bread, and donkeys.
1: (laughs) I love the donkeys one always throws me off because it's like, it kind of just comes out of left field.
0: (laughs) And donkeys. I love it so much. It's kind of (laughs) whimsical. I guess donkeys were probably a bigger part of like the homestead back then.
1: It must have been. I actually don't have a lot of color commentary on that.
0: But sadly it's pretty, enough. It's pretty cute. <laughs> yeah. She was also the goddess of every sacrificial fire, which is a big deal because the Romans, correct me if I'm wrong, babe, loved to make sacrifices.
1: Oh, yeah. They'd sacrifice for anything,
0: anything and everything. And
1: they weren't big on human sacrifices, right? There were some rec- records of human sacrifices, but even like later Romans would look back on that in shame. Um, It was animal sacrifices were their main thing.
0: Oh, well, that's better, I guess, than (laughs) you.
1: Yeah, Not much, but you know.
0: But there we go. So Vesta was the daughter of Saturn, who's the god of time, more or less. Typically, the gods are gods of lots of things, but Saturn is generally the god of time. And Ops, O-P-S, she was the fertility goddess of the Sabine people. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Interestingly, Vesta was rarely depicted in human form. Um, and most commonly represented by a flame. Her Greek goddess equivalent is more or less Hestia, but it's not exact because of the Sabine influence. Mm -hmm. Her festival was called the Vestilia and was honored on July 9th. Mm hmm According to tradition, worship of Vesta in Italy began in Lavinium. Is that how you say it? Yeah. You were there, so you gotta (laughs) gotta tell me if that's correct. It's like
1: 3,000 years ago, you know, I was there, yeah.
0: This is the mother city of Alba Longa.
1: Yeah, there we go.
0: You're familiar with Alba Longa, mm-hmm. you were there. And this is said to be the first settlement by the Trojan refugees after their flight from Troy's destruction, led there by Aeneas and guided, of course, by the goddess Venus. Of course. So from Lavinium, the worship of Vesta would have traveled throughout Alba Longa.
1: This is, I love early Roman history because it is like, myth and then there's like that like 1% of like maybe historical fact here and there and we just and that's the thing that's like the biggest trouble about like researching early Roman history is that you're you know they just believed in myths and no one
0: right or
1: not no one very rarely was it ever questioned they just believed wholeheartedly like the Aeneid like Aeneas fleeing Mm -hmm. Troy that was 100% fact
0: right that was just
1: normal you know and there is like one instance where Livy I think he was a Roman historian, like, questioned, like, I don't know if the gods really did this or not. Eh, moving on. Right. And that's really all we have.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you'll see, as I continue, there's there's more myth and mythology in this. Because exactly like you said there, you can't really, like, pull apart the the truth in their history. It's right. It's just so rooted in myth. Um, so worship of Vesta, like the worship of many gods, originated in the home. Right, so you'd have like your altars in your house and your rituals in your house. But in Roman tradition, it did become an established cult of the state, most likely during the reign of Numa Pompilius. Yeah. He was the legendary second king of Rome, and many of Rome's most important political and religious institutions are attributed to Numa Pompilius.
1: So an office he created uh-huh. is still in use to this day. What is it? The Pontifus Maximus.
0: Guess what, babe? We talk about the Pontifex Maximus. Oh. <laughs> so you, you, <laughs> that's a nice little teaser. Nice. Um, for the Romans, Vesta was present in all weddings along with Janus. Janus is the god of um, usually like four faces, mm-hmm. and he represents beginnings and transitions. So that makes sense. Yeah. Vesta would be represented as the threshold of a newlyweds home. And Janice was the doorway of their home. And I thought that was so interesting because it makes me think of the tradition that many of us hold to this day of the groom carrying the bride across the threshold.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Really cool. Probably comes back to this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did we do that, by the way?
0: We did that because uh, we didn't stay in our home that night, obviously. Right. We did that at the hotel where we stayed after we got married.
1: Okay, I was wondering. Oh, yeah, I remember carrying you in. Yeah. Yes. And then I was, like just tossed you on the bed. Yeah,
0: we had the <laughs> the guy, um, like but, the room service guy like
1: filming us. <laughs> yeah, I remember that.
0: <laughs> we were so weird. Um, <laughs> so, again, Vesta and Janice were both invoked pretty much in every sacrifice and i just think it's interesting that it's been noted that because they were invoked so often the evocation of the two like calling on vesta and calling on janus during your sacrifice simply meant to pray eventually in latin that's so so cool cool. anyway
1: (laughs) that is really cool i didn't know that
0: yeah here's some more nerdy stuff nice the temple most roman temples would have a statue Of the god or goddess inside, like a big, big one, a scary one, if you ask me.
1: (laughs) Stephanie, fun fact, is afraid of statues.
0: I'm pretty sure you've outed me on this podcast already.
1: If you guys guys have have forgotten, (laughs) I wanted to remind you.
0: Not all statues.
1: Just Just most of them. Just a lot of them. Like on our honeymoon... There was this statue of like a a demon in Bali. I didn't know. We
0: were in Bali and they had been celebrating, I think, Galungang. And it was a statue of evil.
1: Yeah. He was like the personification or demonification of evil. Yeah. And Stephanie literally almost fainted in the street.
0: We bumped into it. Basically, we're walking, we're exploring. And then Andrew just had to catch me because I saw it. And then it just went dark. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my eyes rolled in the back of my head and I almost passed out.
1: I loved a teaser about it.
0: Well, I would have liked Vesta's temple <laughs> because it was just a flame inside to represent her. Nice. Um, there were no big statues. I like when we obviously we went to Rome and we go to museums a lot. Those statues don't bother me. When we see them how they were.
1: Oh, like painted and what, everything.
0: That really really upsets me on so many levels. Um, I know
1: a lot of people don't realize that like the beautiful marble like statues that we see were not that color back in the day. They would have been painted. And to be honest, they kind of look a little tacky.
0: They look gross and scary. (laughs) You weirdos would appreciate looking up the Met had an exhibit um, and you can see the photos online recently of all of those statues recreated, like these big famous iconic statues with the color on them. Oh, that's cool. So you could google it and you'll see what we're talking about. Um, but in addition to having the flame, Vesta's temples were always round. Um, and that again, they had the holy fire and that fire wasn't just a symbol of Vesta, it was a symbol of Rome's safety and prosperity. So if the fire went out It's the extinction of that flame signified imminent disaster for Rome. And again, they genuinely believed this to be the case. Um, And we went to when we were in Rome, we went to the Forum Boarium, which is like the old forum, the cattle forum. And there's a round temple there that was originally believed to be a temple of Vesta.
1: Right because it was round it's called like the the temple of hercules victor but it's a it's like a later name that's given yeah because that's like according to legend that's like where hercules did one of his 12 labors
0: yeah so they don't think it's vesta and they don't think it's hercules but
1: yeah it's it's the (laughs) oldest building in rome that's still intact kind of wild
0: yeah we definitely posted pictures or something of it yeah Um, but we'll post more we will And today, you can still see the ruins of an actual temple of Vesta in the Roman Forum, the big forum. Yeah. Near the Regia, which is the office of the Pontifex Maximus. This is the highest religious official in Rome. He's coming back later. Um, And the house of the Vestal Virgin. So it's in between those two, which makes sense. Right. And then I had this question in here, because I thought I might stump you, but I think you know it. Andrew. Oh, I know it. Do you know who... Would hold the title of Pontifex today.
1: Yes, the Pontifex Maximus today is actually the Pope,
0: and his name is
1: Francis. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I actually forgot for a second.
0: Yeah, it comes from Rome.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Like in like old old Rome, guys. Like this is like the Roman Kingdom when like Rome was just like a backwater. It's not like the massive empire that you think of.
0: Mm-hmm. They There's- had like basically their their main priest.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is what the Pope is, right? He's like the super priest, I S- guess.
1: <laughs> super priest.
0: <laughs> yes, the the Catholic schooling did me well. <laughs> so before I go into a little bit more about the Vestal Virgins themselves, I need to take us back to um, another legend, because this legend illustrates how valued and important the Vestal Virgins were in ancient Roman culture. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about a young woman by the name of Rhea Silvia. Oh, yes. Rhea's father was King Numitor, king of Alba Longa, and her family could boast really impressive lineage as she was said to be the 14th descendant of Aeneas himself.
1: That's really cool.
0: She has a mother and a brother in this story, but couldn't find their names anywhere. They're
1: not important. (laughs) (laughs) At least not to the story. (laughs) Not
0: to the story. Um... They're doing fine in Alba Longa, but then Numitor's brother, Amulius, I'm going to guess is how you would say it. Yeah. Amulius. 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 He usurps the throne. And then he kills Rhea Silvia's brother.
1: So not chill.
0: And in order to prevent Numitor's line from continuing, he forces Rhea Silvia to become a Vestal Virgin. Um, one day... So she's a vessel Virgin, right? Yeah. And that includes taking a vow of chastity. Um, and one day, as Rhea Silvia is in the sacred grove by where the vessel Virgins live, um, she goes there to draw water for the service of the goddess. She sees a wolf and she flees, of course, because she's scared, mm-hmm. to a cave for safety. And there, while a total eclipse obscured the sun, Mars, the god Mars himself, assaults her, and as a result, she is impregnated. He then consoles her after the assault with the promise that she should be the mother of heroic children. Yes. Obviously, these myths are insanely, insanely patriarchal and problematic.
1: (laughs) I know, I love you. You had to say that. I have to say (laughs) it.
0: Even if it's implied, I just want to make it obvious that it makes sense, right? Our cultures, particularly from what I know of our Western culture, I don't know a ton about Eastern culture, are rooted in these old patriarchal stories. Right. So it makes sense. So after that unfortunate incident, Reyes Silvia gave birth to twin boys, and you might know their names, Romulus and Remus. Yes. Do you know their names?
1: You know, I think I've heard of them before. Okay. Tell us more though.
0: Well, when her uncle, I forgot what I decided to call him, Amulus? Amulius? (laughs)
1: Amulius. Yeah, it doesn't matter.
0: When he heard that she had given birth to twin boys, he ordered that Rhea Silvia be buried alive. And that's important. I want you to remember that later. For, quote, breaking her vow of celibacy and that the baby boys be drowned in the Tiber River. Mm Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the servant ordered to drown the twins couldn't go through with it, and sent them afloat on the river in a basket. Does that remind you of any other religious story?
1: Yeah, isn't it Moses?
0: Moses, yeah.
1: Also, I think what, there was another like origin story of like different like founders of dynasties. Um, I want to say it's like Sargon or or Cyrus of Persia. Like it's almost it's very similar.
0: Being like. Um, not killed and left in a basket on a river.
1: Yeah, or like maybe not on a river, but left to like a peasant, you know, who raises them and you know, they they, they have unknown, you know, royal lineage.
0: Okay. Yeah and
1: like come to later like claim it.
0: Yeah. That that seems like a common trope in de-
1: human history. It definitely is, yeah.
0: Well, the twin boys in the floating around in the little basket, they are rescued by a she wolf, um, who fed and raised them. The image of twin Baby boys feeding from a wolf is the image of Rome to this day. You yeah. see it everywhere. Um, when they grow up, the boys eventually restored their grandfather to the throne. I thought he was dead, but apparently not. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, what? How did he come back? They restore him to the throne, and then there's the founding of Rome. Um In some versions of this legend, I want to say, it's said that Rhea Silvia actually became a minor goddess, that she too escapes death, and she marries the river god of the Tiber River. Mm. Romulus and Remus, by the way, they don't have the happiest story. Um, There's a a lot more to this legend, but since we're focusing on Rhea Silvia and the Vestal Virgins, I'm going to leave it at that for now.
1: Right. No, I think that's fair.
0: There's a lot there.
1: Remus dies. Remus is killed by Romulus. (laughs) Oh my (laughs) God. That's Remus's story. And then Romulus like is a king for like some absurd amount of years, like 50 years or something. And then like ascends to heaven in a storm. There you go. That's basically what happens. Yeah.
0: And then Remus Lupin in Harry Potter, (laughs) he is a werewolf. Get it? Remus Lupin. Lupin comes from lupa, which means she wolf.
1: Also, do you mean it's a derogative name for a prostitute as well?
0: Yeah, it has been, um, sex, it's like slang for sex worker. Right. So some wonder if the twin boys were actually raised by a sex worker. Yeah. Um, but I was talking about Harry Potter, so. Sorry. That was not even remotely relevant. Remus Lupin, Wolf, get it? That's what I was trying to say. I just think that was so clever in naming him that.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And then, okay, one more nerdy comment about Harry Potter when the order of the phoenix like kind of goes underground and um the ministry of magic is under control of voldemort they all get code names when they're trying to communicate with each other on the radio and remus chooses the code name romulus oh my god i thought that was so clever (laughs) Oh, my God. I loved that in the story. Yeah, you're
1: such a Harry Potter nerd.
0: Yes. Okay, I really didn't plan to talk about Harry Potter during this. So, going back to the story. What does this legend tell us? I think, one, it tells us it's possible that the Vestal Virgins predate Rome itself, which is why their historical origins are tied into mythology.
1: Oh, I think they absolutely are.
0: Yeah. And, two... Since the mother of Romulus and Remus was a vestal virgin herself, you can see how honorific and sacred this role would become.
1: Yeah. They were the vestal virgins were, were sacrosanct, mm-hmm. which means they could not Did you have this in your notes? Okay. Totally. I'm going to stop saying it. No,
0: then. you're good, you're good. It's coming up. Don't okay. worry. So similar to Rhea Silvia, vestals were chosen as girls and they were typically from highborn families, right? Rhea Silvia was a princess. These girls are are noble when they're chosen. To be chosen for a Vestal, uh, a girl had to be free of physical, moral, and mental defects, have two living parents, and be a daughter of a free-born resident of Rome. That's a tall order.
1: That's really tall, yeah.
0: I would not meet the requirements here. (laughs) Let me just say that. Um, And they were expected to serve... For 30 years, their main duty as priestesses was to guard and maintain the fire of Vesta. This is super important. Yep. If a Vestal died before her contracted term ended, before those 30 years, the potential replacements could be presented um, to the chief Vestal for the selection of the most virtuous woman.
1: Oh, very nice.
0: So, unlike a normal inductee, unlike those little girls that are chosen, these candidates did not have to be prepubescent and nor did they have to be virgins. They could be young widows or even divorcees. Wow. Although divorcees was frowned upon but not unheard of.
1: Interesting. I actually didn't know that.
0: Yeah. In exchange for their service, Vestals had many rights and privileges such as being carried in a palaquin, is that how you say it? Yeah. Which is the thingy that like you see um, Cleopatra carried in yeah. all the time. And this meant you had the right of the way on the road. Mm-hmm. And you've told me before, that's a big deal because there was a lot of traffic in Rome.
1: There was a ton of traffic and yeah, it's just, I mean, just dirty.
0: And it's dirty. You're right. You're right. So this would keep you clean, right? Because you're elevated and you get to get place fa- places faster. Right. Uh, they also had the right to own property and vote.
1: Which is a huge deal because women did not have the right to vote.
0: Yep. You're totally right.
1: You couldn't even be a citizen, actually, if you're a woman. Like, only men could be citizens in Rome at this time.
0: That's a really good point. Women are property. Yeah. Um, they were also... Allowed to give evidence without an oath, I'm not entirely sure what that means. Like they could be, give evidence in a trial, be like, "Oh yeah, yeah I saw so and so do this."
1: I know that their word was held in really high regard. I don't know much about this though.
0: So it must mean that like they didn't have to like swear to tell the whole truth and nothing by the truth. <laughs> but the truth, so help me God. Yeah, so help me gods. Gods, um, and really importantly, they were always reserved. Seats at the games and performances.
1: Again, which is a huge deal because usually women were not allowed.
0: Yeah, they had like courtside seats, basically. (laughs) Um, They were even able to pardon criminals and enslaved people who were sentenced to be executed. It's a
1: huge deal.
0: I'd say even more impressive, like if a Vestal Virgin goes to your trial and she's like, no, no, this guy's fine. Let him go. That's, That's amazing. But I think even more impressive is that if a condemned man crossed paths with a Vestal on his way to be executed, it was considered a sign of redemption from the gods, so he would be immediately pardoned.
1: That's amazing.
0: That is nuts. It just shows you, like you were saying, how, fa- like how factual, how important the gods were to them.
1: It was like, there was a really blurred line between like civil life and religious life. I mean, it was, they're so ingrained. They're really one in the same. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the the top of like the second most, or maybe possibly like in terms of just daily life, the most important hill Mm -hmm. in Rome, it was a temple to Jupiter, Optimus, Maximus. (laughs)
0: Like
1: it was not anything else. It was a temple to the gods, like the chief God amongst them.
0: Right. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um... And then, going back to what you had mentioned before, the body of a Vestal Virgin was considered sacrosanct. This means sacred, highly valuable. No one could spill the blood of a Vestal, and harming or injuring them was punishable by death. Yep. Big deal. Women did not have that protection. No. Normal citizens didn't have that protection. No,
1: it was usually only like really high offices.
0: Yeah. As we can see... This position came with immense privileges, especially for women of this time as you mentioned. Yeah. And the Vestal Virgins were just, in general, some of the most powerful people in Roman society.
1: Right. People. Not women, like people.
0: Yeah. What was the other position? You had mentioned this when you were talking about the story of the Gracchi brothers.
1: Oh, the Tribune of the Plebs.
0: He was sacrosanct, right? Yeah.
1: And that's why it was a huge deal when... Um, this is going back way back. But when one of the, both of them were killed, mm-hmm. um, the first one was Tiberius, he... That was the first time in like 300 years that a sacrosanct official was killed. And that, you know, and if you you had to point to like one event that started the decline of the Roman Republic, it's probably that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense because that turns everything on its head.
1: Yeah, that was like, what, three decades roughly? I can't remember if that's right. No, yeah, about three decades before Julius Caesar was even born.
0: So nuts to think about. Yeah. Okay, so there's a cost (laughs) to this privilege. the power that they had also came with severe punishment if their duties as a Vestal Virgin were not fulfilled. I don't know, let me say it. Because at the end of the day, they were still living in a very heavily patriarchal society. Oh, absolutely. Where the objective was to control women. So they still had men controlling them, just in a different way. So as mentioned, their duties as priestesses was to keep that sacred flame always going. Mm-hmm. If the flame went out, the priestess responsible would be beaten by the chief priest. Not by another Vestal, but by a male priest. She'd be beaten. If she died, that's fine.
1: Yeah, that sounds... I mean, the the flame was really important because it wasn't just for the gods. It was for, like, Rome itself. It was, like, the personification of, The whole empire. Yeah, like, Rome was, like, almost, like, our version of, like manifest destiny as bad as that sounds but it was like their version of like roman excellence and like Mm. and like the the, just the continuance of the state
0: yeah it's nuts
1: again like like religious civil life just being essentially one
0: Mm -hmm. i agree and then if a vessel virgin was found guilty of breaking her vows of chastity she was sentenced to death but remember that no one can spill their blood right so, how do you kill her? Well, the fifth king of Rome, Tarquinius Priscus. Yeah, he was. He, yeah. he devised a cruel way to circumvent that rule.
1: He well, was not a great man. It was his, I think, son or grandson or something that was really bad. Yeah. He was the one that. The last king of Rome. Okay. You know, according, again, these are all like according to legend.
0: Right. Well. King Tarquinius decided that a guilty Vestal Virgin should be buried alive, which is also the sentencing that Rhea Silvia got. So that's probably where he got the idea from. However, this led to another problem because technically no burials were allowed within the city. Yeah um people were buried outside of the city you can go see catacombs outside of rome they're yeah, super creepy
1: there's it's called the palmarium and it's like the sacred boundary of the city mm-hmm. of course like later on the city would get way bigger than that but there was always like the sacred limit of the city and there's still markers of it like to this day mm-hmm. that go back to like the beat some of the most the oldest parts of like rome
0: mm-hmm. yeah so the solution to that <laughs> yeah was to give the condemned woman enough food to keep her alive for a few days, and they would not call her grave a grave, they would call it a room. And in this way, the Vestal Virgin was not buried alive, but was simply sent to a room with some provisions where she would die a natural death.
1: Right, and then they would like put it like a massive boulder over the entrance, so it's like, you know.
0: She's not gonna push her way out. Exactly. The guilty Vestal would be stripped of her clothes, she would be publicly whipped, and there would be a whole funeral procession attended by her we being loved ones. And then she would be placed in a small underground vault or like a room, basically. Again, with those like minimal like food and water, usually a lamp as well. And the pontifex, this dude again, he would say a prayer and then she'd be sealed inside forever. Wow. I, like, oh, I know that
1: and it's still hearing it just sends like chills down my spine.
0: It's terrible because the crime is not a crime.
1: No, and also here's the thing too: is like <laughs> most of the time, this happened. I remember the uh, Robert Graval, um talking about this. Like, yes. Most of the like it was broken, like not often, but it was broken enough. Like, and we even know Julius Caesar had you know relations with a Vestal Virgin. Yeah. And nothing happens to them most of the time. It was only usually because of like political. Or someone wanted to send a message, usually like an emperor later on, that they would, you know, exercise this punishment.
0: Yes, it was typically, a vessel would receive this punishment um, as collateral for the men in her life, right?
1: Exactly. If
0: someone wants to get back at her dad, who's in politics or something, they would do this to her. Or, again, like you said, if, even if an emperor all of a sudden is like, I want us to be more moral and more pious. Exactly. be stricter about it, so... Mm-hmm. Again, it's just the result of their um, culture and some of the downsides of that culture. <laughs> yeah. There, are, Like you said, there are only a few reports of this very callous, in my opinion, punishment being given to the Vestals. And there are also, thankfully, a couple of reports of Vestals escaping this punishment. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. For example, in the 3rd century, the Vestal virgin Tuccia. Was accused of no longer being chased. But Tuchia was able to prove her innocence by miraculously carrying water in a sieve. A sieve is a mesh strainer, like the kind used to sift through sand, mm-hmm. from the Tiber River to the Temple of Vesta without spilling a drop. So she has water in this container full of holes, and no water comes out. To the Romans, this miracle proved that Vesta wanted her to be spared, and Tuccia lived.
1: Oh, very nice.
0: I have no idea what probably actually happened. That's nuts.
1: Yeah, I mean, just on the surface, that's a pretty crazy story.
0: Yes. Um, The Vestal virgins who managed to survive their 30 years of service were rewarded with a comfortable pension and permission to marry. But most of them chose not to. Yeah. They remained respected members of society until their deaths and were pretty, like, financially well-off and independent, again, whether or not they were married.
1: Right. I think, yeah, like you said, they had a pension. So a lot of them chose not to get married because it's, like, they're financially stable. Like, all of a sudden, now they'd have to, like, they would be property of their husband. And so it's, like, you know, they lived essentially a very privileged life for 30 years, why would they want to give that up?
0: And be someone's property. Yeah. Lose their freedom. Exactly. I agree. People, no one wants to ever give up their freedom. Precisely. Yeah. In ancient texts, just because I thought you'd be interested. Yes. The Vestals are, are referenced by Suetonius, Tacitus, Ovid, Plutarch, and Pliny the Elder.
1: Yeah. These are
0: Roman historians for people who are not as nerdy as Andrew. <laughs> And then through their writing, some of the Vestals we know about personally include Ochia or Okia. And she was a Vestal for 57 years.
1: Oh my God.
0: We I don't that's know like why.
1: Almost two full terms.
0: She was a Vestal between 38 BC and 1980.
1: Oh wow, that's a really interesting time. So she would have seen like the last... The end of or her time would have been like the end of the Roman Republic, the beginning mm. of the rule of Augustus.
0: Mm, you're right. And
1: even Tiberius.
0: Yeah. And she would
1: have probably heard whispers of some, you know, some Jewish guy off in the in the Near East who's like creating his own cult.
0: Yeah. Some guy. She didn't even some, know his name. Some guy. <laughs> um. And then there was Rubria. I don't know if that's how you say it. That's an ah. unfortunate name. Yeah. She was a Vestal during the first century. And Suetonius, uh, unfortunately, wrote that she had been sexually assaulted by Emperor Nero.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Mm -hmm. Nero was a real...
0: Yeah, real POS.
1: Yeah, he's a real peach.
0: And then Aquilia Severa, in the 3rd century, uh, whom... This is so weird and interesting to me. The Roman Emperor...
1: Elagabalus.
0: Elagabalus, thank you. I couldn't say it. He married her twice. (laughs) Yeah. She was his second and his fourth wife, and this led to big scandal. He was a teenager.
1: Yeah, Elagabalus was one of the worst Roman emperors in history. He was just so incredibly just awful, like, at ruling.
0: He was a teenage boy with a lot of power. Yeah,
1: that, that's a common theme. It's like, usually if there was a Roman emperor that came to power when they were a teenager, they're going to be terrible. There's only one exception I can think of. Who? um alexander severus oh okay and unfortunately he had a domineering mother who was both good and bad and but ultimately led to his own demise
0: okay but he had like um a big stabilizing influence yeah he way. had a
1: stabilizing influence and he had a moral compass yeah from what we know about
0: well elagabalus only ruled from 2018 to 222 yeah that's not a long time N- no he was or 218 i'm sorry yeah to 222 Um, he sounds like a hot mess. Oh, he was. From the little bit that I saw.
1: Yeah, he was.
0: And then we have Coelia Concordia from the 4th century, and she is the last noted, like, recorded head of the Vestal Virgins. Yeah. The cult ended in 394 AD by Emperor Theodosius, who let the fire go out. What a move and forbade any pagan worship
1: obviously he was a christian <laughs> yeah <laughs> just to be yeah um he was one of the most like notable like christian emperors. the fourth century was just you know you saw constantine was the first and right then constantine though was different in that like he he just legalized christianity um it was semi the state religion but like not not strictly speaking but yeah, the was, two
0: were still coexisting yeah and
1: then it's just you had like Emperor Theodosius was kind of like the last kind of straw that broke the camel's back where they just like, it almost became the inverse of like, you know, a few hundred years before where the pagans were persecuting the Christians. And now it's like the Christians are persecuting the pagans.
0: Yeah. He doesn't sound really nice.
1: He was a competent emperor, but he also has a play or he is really responsible for the demise of the Roman empire, at least the Western, because he's, he's the final uh, emperor to rule both sides of the empire mm-hmm. and he's once he dies he splits it between his two sons who were just enormous idiots <laughs> they you would
0: think you'd sh- know that
1: oh my god they were honorius there was the one in the west he was so dumb like it, it was almost like impressive how dumb he was
0: so you really like these guys
1: <laughs> yeah no <laughs>
0: um well Seth- anyways <laughs> Sorry, back to the Vestas because you're getting personal. Yeah,
1: I I have strong feelings <laughs> about, about this time. Guys. Yeah.
0: Well, they ended as, as we were saying. <laughs> um, although I did see interestingly that they there's record of this cult kind of being an underground cult mm. until the seventh century.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, that there were still women that would you know worship Vesta and um, wow. keep keeping her tradition, which I think is really cool.
1: That is really cool.
0: And today you can see the famous house of the Vestals in the Roman Forum. And it may be in ruins now, but it's cool to think of the many generations of women who lived and worked in this palace. It's not a house, it's a palace. Yeah. And how a typical Roman citizen never would have seen the inside but yeah. you can now
1: right it may be in ruins but at least you can go inside but
0: at least you can go inside and that andrew and weirdos is a summary of, a summary of the vessel virgins these very powerful roman priestesses
1: well awesome thank you so much and thank you for choosing you know something ancient roman cuz you know i'm a huge nerd with that stuff
0: it's a mini birthday present a
1: mini <laughs> <laughs> i love it
0: And then before we wrap up, of course, I want to give my sources, um, the Encyclopedia Britannica, lots of good stuff there. This website called througheternity.com. It's actually a tour company. Oh, wow. They have really in-depth pages on like a lot about um, the sites in the forum. Uh, And they do tours through the forum. Uh, Mythos Fandom. Like a fandom website. Like, you know, when you go to ones that have like all the characters and avatar or something. There's a a fandom website for the myths.
1: Oh, That's so cool.
0: And then there's Encyclopedia Mythica and Wikipedia. But also, I'm going to brag that some of a good amount of this information came from me listening to Professor Robert Graval talk about this twice. Uh, Nine years apart, granted, but I heard him talk about the Vestals and rhea sylvie and all of that yeah
1: and for those who don't know i mean probably most of you robert gravall was the classics or head of classics at university of california los angeles and is i think finally retired
0: he said he said yeah he says
1: semi-retired but he's just a classics like an adjunct i think at this point like professor of classics at ucla
0: most people would not know that we know that yeah
1: i don't know why (laughs) i was like probably none of you know that but
0: he's incredible, maybe because we've mentioned him before. Anytime we talk about Rome, we mention this amazing professor, really good teachers, really good educators, just like they leave a mark on you.
1: They really do, yeah. And you can tell like he's he's really passionate and just knows as much as like any human of this day can know. Mm -hmm. But is really just a great like He's not. Uh, what's the word? He's not stuffy or your typical academic about it. He's just very relatable and very
0: approachable. Very
1: approachable, and the way he talks about it, just any anyone you can pick off anyone from the street, and he can he can tell it to them, and they'll understand it and get it. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty incredible.
0: And that just gives me a reminder to say thank you to educators who listen, because I think we have quite a few.
1: Yeah. Thank uh, you, teachers.
0: Thank you, teachers, because it's such an such an important uh, role that should be well like very well revered in our culture
1: right and it isn't given its due it's not
0: given its due but thank you so much obviously we we've had really good teachers and that's why we have a nerdy history podcast (laughs) (laughs) and that is it for this week
1: well thank you so much this was incredible i even learned some new things
0: yay and i thought
1: you know I'm a huge Roman history nerd, so that's pretty cool. That
0: was my goal. I was nervous. No,
1: that was incredible. That was a really good summary.
0: Yay, thank you. Because, I mean, we're talking
1: about, like, well over a thousand years of history here that, like, goes into myths and, like, before Rome was Rome when it was just a bunch of tribes, like, running around Italy to, like, you know, the emergence of, like, nation states.
0: Yeah, and uh, if you're interested in learning more about the Vestal Virgins, I highly recommend looking into them. I saw... That um, Mary Beard has a couple of volumes of, like, Roman religions. Oh, nice. That people say are really good, so you can start there. And that is it for this week.
1: Yes, well, thank you. And until next time, weirdos.
0: Until next time.
1: (laughs) Adios.